Hello, and welcome to Beyond Japan, an interdisciplinary podcast that looks at the broad reach of Japanese studies from within and beyond Japan. This podcast is brought to you by the Center for Japanese Studies at the Sainsbury Institute for the Study of Japanese Arts and Cultures, in collaboration with the University of East Anglia. I'm your host, Oliver Moxon, Research Project Coordinator at the Sainsbury Institute and Researcher of Japanese War Heritage. This week we are joined by Chris Szymkowski, PhD candidate at the University of Sheffield, where we will be discussing his research into social order through Tokyo Manor posters. Manor posters are public service adverts that can be found on the Tokyo Rail Network, which warn against low-level deviants such as wearing your backpack in an inconsiderate position or shaking a wet umbrella onto other passengers. While other scholars have framed this as a means of imposing social order, Chris argues that these posters are a form of customer service, focusing on improving everyone's experience rather than penalizing offenders. We hope you enjoy the show. Okay, good afternoon, Chris. Thank you for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. So first of all, we'd like to know a bit more about you. Can you tell us about your area of expertise and how your interests have brought you there? Yeah, so I actually sometimes struggle a bit with the question of disciplinary identity in an academic sense. I broadly would identify as a social scientist working on Japan because I have formal training in several social science disciplines and my research approach and my interests tend to be quite interdisciplinary. I have previously worked on published and published on several topics such as online communities and modern Japanese discourses of fatherhood. But in the past years, my research has focused on the management of public conduct in large Japanese cities with a focus specifically on urban public transport environments and the role of visual media in governing passenger conduct. And apart from like a broader underlying interest in the social construction of social order and urban spaces, I think this topic choice was influenced by the experience of living in Tokyo for several years before starting my PhD research. So I think uh, you yourself and any listener of the program who has been to Tokyo will be very aware that there's a large amount of posters and signage in urban public spaces in the city. When I first came to Japan, I was particularly drawn or interested in the presence of what you might call like a kawaii or cute aesthetics of the uh, urban media landscape. So you get lots of anime and manga inspired, kind of like cartoonish characters that are employed in various contexts, including uh, official ones. So you get very cute looking police mascots, or you might see a garbage truck with a friendly multicolored elephant drawn on the side of it. And I was really struck by this, by this use of like a visual style that in many countries, I think is largely limited to uh, spheres of entertainment, um, but finds a widespread use in Japan. I then a few years later, I returned to Japan with better Japanese. And after spending about two years in China, where I saw all kinds of signs and banners with moral and political discourse in cities. And so from there on, I became more interested in signage that related to everyday conduct. So basically signs that ask people or urge people to behave in one way or the other. So a semiotic landscape of, of regulation, if you will. And this was what I was doing my second MA degree in Tokyo. And while preparing to apply for PhD programs, 
So I started to think about how to translate this into an empirical research project. Originally, I wanted to focus on two different cases, actually, not just manner posters, but also crime prevention communication. So posters, advertising, crime prevention patrols, stickers, signs, and banners that carry crime prevention messages and advice, which is something you see a lot in Tokyo, especially also in residential areas. But I, I soon realized that basically the context and the background of these two phenomena, crime prevention, communication, and railway manner posters is so different that it's really difficult to manage that as a single PhD research project. So I focused on crime prevention for my second MA dissertation, which then led to a, a paper in the Journal of Contemporary Japan around a year ago and focused on manner posters for my PhD. Great. So you've done a lot of in-depth research in this area then. So your research takes place in the urban rail network of Tokyo, a complicated tangle of lines that facilitates the lives of 37 million residents living in the greater Tokyo area and serves 15 billion passenger journeys a year. Could you begin by explaining this context for the manor posters you research? Absolutely. So I think the numbers that you mentioned there already illustrate very clearly that both Tokyo and Tokyo's railway system are absolutely massive. In fact, it is the Tokyo Urban's railway system is one of the most busy and most extensive railway systems in the world. And it's, of course, absolutely crucial for the experience and practice of urban life of people living in the greater Tokyo area, uh, as well as for the socioeconomic operation of the city and Japanese society. There's a paper from the mid-2000s that suggests that um, trains account for around 95% of all trips made in central Tokyo and around 70% of commuting trips through all of Tokyo's wards. So from these numbers, I think it becomes very clear that the railway system presents such an important infrastructural basis for the private and working lives of people living in Tokyo. Um, and another related aspect here is that it's also very important for the way modern Japan is imagined inside and outside of Japan. So images of crowded trains are frequently connected to visual discourse about contemporary Japan. Actually, in your very great episode on Nihon Jinron and uh, the discourse of Japanese-ness uh, with Professor David Rear, um, I think you used an image of a crowded train carriage interior. <laughs> as one of the, the cover images for the episode. So because of these considerations, I think that public transport spaces are really well suited to inquire into the management of everyday conduct in Japan because they are such a, a central stage of public life in Japan. And the scope of the urban railway system and the extreme transport demands that the, the railway system in Tokyo is faced with is of course also relevant in the context of behavioral expectations that govern the transport system. So um, Michael Fish, an US anthropologist a few years ago, uh, published a, a great book on Tokyo's commuter railway system. And he describes Tokyo's commuter railway system as operating beyond capacity in terms of congestion or crowdedness inside the carriage, carriage but also in terms of traffic density. And these conditions for him give rise to highly specific codes of passenger etiquette. So for example, the behavioral expectation to maintain silence on commuter trains 
he sees as tied to passengers' desire to carve out space for themselves in the crowded carriage environment and argues uh, that passenger manners help produce a certain gap that facilitate Tokyo's railway system's operation beyond capacity. And I would definitely agree with this, that the behavioral expectations that we see encouraged through manner posters are shaped by the railway system's social technological conditions and that the conditions of urban railway transit in Tokyo and their centrality in, in urban life make railway and passenger manners such an important topic in Japanese society. Keep in mind, after all, that like any kind of potential misconduct that you might encounter on trains will likely in its effect be amplified by the greater proximity or like by the crowdedness of the carriage. So that's, that's why there's so much attention on, on behaviors on trains, I think. I see. Thank you. So what is a manor poster exactly? Well, how do they differ from other public service announcements you might see on public transport in the UK, like see it, say it, sort it, or the reminders to wear face masks that we've become so accustomed to? Right. So manor posters are posters uh, that are issued by Japanese railway companies to solicit or deter specific passenger conduct, and that do so through a combination of verbal and visual elements that make up a certain uh, persuasive design. Um, they are found, of course, in urban public transport environments, so in stations or on trains. They mostly take a poster format, but increasingly you also see some digital versions of them, like on the uh, in-carriage uh, screens and so on. Uh, and because these posters, of course, tell people how they should or shouldn't behave, we can think of them as a form of regulatory signage. And in that sense, they are, of course, quite similar to illustrated notices that we see uh, in cities throughout the UK and wider Europe that remind people to wear masks and so on. But I think there are also several factors that really set manner posters apart as a genre of public communication. So one of those is just their frequency. Manner posters in Japanese urban railway spaces are really a ubiquitous site. You see them everywhere for several reasons. One being that like you have several railway companies and all of them issue their own posters. They usually do so, or many of them do so on a monthly basis. So there's a new poster every month. Sometimes companies issue uh, several posters at the same time. So different departments in the same company might be in charge of minor poster production independently of each other. So basically these, these factors turn manner posters in like a, I think in a, into a more common site than they are in the UK. A second factor is manner posters design. So they usually look quite different from the regulatory signage that we are used to seeing in the UK or in mainland Europe. Many of them employ those like cute aesthetics that I referred to earlier, uh, or a visual style that is connected to manga and anime. Um, they are often also quite advertising-like in their appearance and in the use of advanced uh, design techniques. What you don't get very often is like the slashed out red circle design or anything that's crossed out uh, or like a clear statement of a prohibition or a rule or even the threat of a sanction in case you don't obey. 
as you commonly get uh, in um, regulatory signage in Europe. Instead, you get posters that are cute and colorful and often, often quite humorous in their appeal to passenger conduct. And this is, it's for one, it's a strategy to, to get attention, but it's also to, to make people like look at the poster, but it's also a strategy that is used to soften the, the message of the poster and make it more acceptable. And then the final difference is the scope of the targeted behaviors. So in the UK and other countries in Europe, I think there's a focus on behaviors that are officially prohibited or that are considered dangerous. And COVID-related posters also could fall into this category because they basically target behaviors that are a danger to public health. In contrast, though, the behaviors that are targeted by Japanese manner posters are very much, as the name implies, mostly about etiquette. So they are not about formal rules. They are also not an attempt to impose formal rules on passengers. And while you do get posters that are related to safety, so for example, some manner posters take up behaviors that might lead to injury or accident, such as walking while using your smartphone while in the train station. Most of the manner posters that you see in Japan today are instead about uh, comfort-related offenses. So behaviors that might cause other passengers annoyance or vexation rather than actually endanger them in any way. I see. So let's uh, take a look at some of the behavior being addressed by manner posters then. In your 2021 article, Managing Passenger Etiquette in Tokyo Between Social Control and Customer Service, you discuss how broader literature on public transport behavior addresses criminal and antisocial behavior, whereas manner posters aim to address low-level deviance. Could you give us some examples of this low-level deviance? Yeah, absolutely. So I think if you look at popular and academic discourses of deviance, there's a tendency to focus on very serious offenses, such as, for example, crimes or antisocial behavior. So basically behaviors that are legally prohibited and or are regulated and policed through formal social control mechanisms, such as the law enforcement system. In contrast to that, some recent scholarship, such as the work by Philip Smith and King in their book, The Root Stranger in Everyday Life, there's an argument to shift the sociological attention away from these like serious offenses and criminal acts to more minor deviance acts that are, that are not criminal or dangerous necessarily, but that are simply inconsiderate or inappropriate. So that's what I mean by low-level deviance. I use the term to highlight that the behaviors that are being addressed in Japanese manner posters are often very minor transgressions of behavioral expectations. So, for example, you get posters that target seating order and seating practices. So, for example, that tell people not to take up too much space on the train, not to place your luggage on the seat next to you to make sure somebody else can sit down. You get posters that are about noisy behavior or headphone noise, like a sound, sound leak leaking out of your headphone, the use of mobile devices, um, such as smartphones that you shouldn't make phone calls on a train, the handling and positioning of luggage, so how you should 
carry your backpack, like nearly in front of you so that it might not accidentally bump into another passenger. So from these behaviors, I think what becomes clear is like this focus on, on mundane deviance and mundane incivilities that we actually encounter much more frequently in cities than we encounter crime. I see. Thank you. So you argue that the posters in Tokyo are not trying to impose social control, but are a technology of customer service highlighting the elaborate design and use of humor to distinguish from standard forms of regulatory signage. However, wouldn't you agree that it is intrusive for a company to tell its customers how to hold their smartphone, for example? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I definitely agree that many people are, are likely to see that as intrusive, particularly in the UK. and I can imagine that if Transport for London would issue posters like that, they would face quite major backlash. But I'm still skeptical of a reading of Japanese manner posters as a strategy of social control. So in terms of intrusiveness, in terms of the, the poster format itself, that is actually that the choice of a poster format itself is a strategic choice to make these reminders less intrusive. So in the past, Transport providers often relied on in-carriage announcements for reminders like that. And these were, of course, or these had to be much more frequent because you get people getting on and off the train at various stations. So you need to have repeat announcements during the journey. And they are also much more difficult to escape because you can just rely on earphones or headphones to try and uh, sound them out and like not have to listen to them. Posters in that sense are, I think, much less intrusive because people do not have to look at them. They're not forced to look at them. They can choose to look away any time they want. And in fact, because Japanese public transport environments are so oversaturated with all kinds of like commercial advertisements that you see on trains and in stations, some railway companies and designers involved in making manner posters actually have doubts whether their posters are being noticed at all. As you mentioned, I view poster design as like one factor that indicates uh, a concern for customer satisfaction and customer sensibilities as a key consideration driving manner poster initiatives. And this is because manner posters take such great care not to offend customer sensibilities through their visual and verbal and textual design. So they are very careful in how they depict passengers. So for example, they make sure that it doesn't look like a certain passenger is behaving or is transgressing behavioral expectations on purpose, but rather they are commonly made to look like they are just not aware of the consequences of their behavior. Um, they also avoid any kind of like textual expression that could be read as a direct order. So um, that brings us back to this difference in visual style between regulatory signage in the UK and in the manner posters in Japan, where uh, poster designers generally avoid like this fleshed out red circle or crossing out a certain behavior because that would imply a direct order or a direct rule or prohibition. And um, any kind of expression like that is uh, perceived as undermining the expected status hierarchy between company and customer. 
one further reason why I see menopause as a technology of customer service rather than of social control is the content of the posters themselves. So the behaviors that are being taken up by posters are often taken from customer complaints. So basically emails or letters or phone calls that company receives receive from passengers that say things like, well, yesterday when I took the train, there was a bunch of very noisy teenagers and it completely ruined the whole journey for me. Can you not do something about that, please? Or they are taken from industry surveys. So there's an annual industry survey about the most annoying passenger behaviors. <laughs> and I think that helps explain the scope of manner posters and the diversity of the targeted behaviors. And I think it also helps explain why we see such a poster as you mentioned. So this poster that you mentioned specifically, it, it asked people to, or to make sure not to hold their smartphone in a way that it might touch somebody else's shoulders or somebody else's body. That is, of course, without a doubt, like a super, super specific behavioral expectation or request that is being communicated here. But it is so specific because it can be tied to a specific complaint a railway company received from customers. So in that sense, posters are not a top-down imposition of desirable conduct or an attempt at moral education, but rather a company response to customer concerns and complaints. Yeah, so it's highlighted in your article that customer complaints inform which low-level deviances are addressed in manner posters. Uh, what, what kind of evidence is there that this approach to managing customer behavior effectively resolves the complaints that are raised? Yeah, so the question of effectiveness is, of course, is highly difficult one. And I think many people have doubts about the, if they see posters like this, that they might have doubts how effective these actually are in terms of getting people to change their behavior. And that is something that is incredibly difficult to verify empirically because of various methodological challenges that are involved in measuring media effect in general, but also especially like the effect of like this urban media that you come across in the city. So basically finding a control group and controlling for other potential variables that might influence people's behavior is almost impossible. At least it was impossible for me as like an individual researcher. Transport companies are very aware of these difficulties and they themselves have doubts whether posters are actually an effective means of tackling misconduct on trains. And so if that's the case, I think we, are, we might ask ourselves, why do they then continue investing money in these posters? Because um, they have been around for many decades. Like Tokyo Metro has been issuing uh, ever, a new Mena poster every month since 1974. So since it uh, still was like its predecessor, organization of ADAN. And the reason why they continue to invest money into this and why they pay advertising design companies and hire often quite popular uh, designers and illustrators is, again, this customer service function. So the, comp the complaints that companies receive create for the company the need for response. And MENA posters are just this response. They are a means of ensuring customer satisfaction. They help 
companies demonstrate engagement with customer concerns and they show that the companies are doing everything they can to provide a comfortable transit experience. So when they get letters or when they get complaints about manner transgressions on Tokyo trains, they can say to passengers, we are very sorry, we know this is a problem, but look, we are doing everything that we can. I see. So let's look at the details a bit of these posters, of the uh, designs that they tend to have. So popular fictional characters, such as childhood history characters like Momotaro, for example, often feature in these posters. Is there a strategic reason for this? Yeah, that's a very good observation. There are indeed quite a few fairy tale or folk tale themed posters. I'm not sure if there's, if there's like one specific unified strategy that drives this because yeah, keep in mind that there are many different actors that are involved in creating manner posters that work often independently of each other. And you also see folktale characters used in different ways. So one recent example would be a manner poster series by the Tokyo Metropolitan Bureau of uh, Transportation that created like a Momotaro-themed poster series that takes like a, a very narrative format. So it basically, it almost retells the story of Momotaro and Momotaro's journey as set in the Tokyo subway system, where the demon island that Momotaro and his friends are trying to reach is in fact like a station on the Oedo line. So here we see the use of folk tale characters to turn manner posters into basically an almost narrative medium to make it more entertaining. Other posters make more subdued or subtle use of folktale characters. So by integrating them as of kind of like an implicit cultural reference. Overall, I think uh, one reason might be that folktale characters are a visual element that can make posters more interesting and more appealing to viewers. They make the posters more interesting to look at. And they might perhaps also increase the chance that people will look at these posters because they might glimpse the familiar face of Momotaro like somewhere in the back of this crowded station that they are moving through. And depending on the presentation of posters, producers might also hope that these folktale-themed characters might catch perhaps children's attention and that children might then ask their parent or their guardian hey, why is there Momotaro on this poster? What's going on? <laughs> and that, that then could lead to like kind of like a teaching moment. Finally, there's a pragmatic consideration as well. So many posters are illustration-based and it is just much easier to, to, uh, to use folktale characters because they're usually not protected by copyright as opposed, for example, to characters from manga or anime where the companies would need to negotiate like licensing agreement and would have to pay a lot of money and so on, which would make the, the whole creative undertaking much more complicated. Yeah, one element that I picked up on in your article was how by using these fictional characters, they were able to avoid stereotyping these low-level deviants. Uh, so no one would feel personally attacked by the uh, bad behaviors that are pointed out in the posters. Could you expand on that a bit? 
Yeah, so that's, thank you for picking up on that. Uh, that's definitely the case. So um, as I mentioned earlier, um, well, menopause is obviously, they, they often depict public transport spaces. They depict train uh, stations, so they depict train carriages, and because of they also depict passengers. And often, just by their nature, they have to depict characters that engage in behaviors that are not appropriate. And that is a highly sensitive task because it could basically, the company is portraying its customers or could be seen as portraying the customers in like a negative way. So they need to handle that with care. One way of doing that is, as I mentioned earlier, depicting them in a way that it looks like that the person is not really aware of the consequences of their behavior. And another strategy is the use of fictive characters. So yeah, Momotaro could be an example of that, that you have like somebody or like a, a fictive character that doesn't have a counterpart in real life and that can play the role of the manner offender instead of the passenger. Yeah, fascinating. So thank you for answering all of my questions today, Chris. Before we finish the episode, could you share with us what other projects you're currently working on? Yeah, sure. So uh, I'm planning to submit my PhD thesis uh, next March. So um, that's my key priority right now, just finalizing the thesis and getting it ready for submission. Apart from that, I'm applying for postdocs. And for my postdoctoral research, I hope to explore the historical genesis of train manners in Tokyo in the decades after the Second World War. And apart from that, as a little side project, I'm currently finalizing a visual essay based on a research manga on the experience of taking the train in Tokyo during the first state of emergency in May 2020 that I created together with one of my research participants, an illustrator and a manor poster artist last year. Fascinating. Well, we'll be waiting to see what comes out of that. Thank you for joining me again today, Chris. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much. You can find Chris's research profile in the description below. Beyond Japan will be taking a break over Christmas as we line up a roster of guests for 2022, including Dr. Chris Harding on Presenting Japan, Dr. Fora Mitani on Nostalgia and Motherhood, and Professor Susan Whitfield on Japan's Place on the Silk Road. We hope you'll join us then. For now, we at the Sainsbury Institute wish you all a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Minasan, yo yo toshio, makai kadasai. Thank you for listening.